Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. There is confusion among some believers over Christ's words about loving others as we love ourselves. And I want to focus on that last part, as we love ourselves, because that's where a lot of confusion is. The sticking point is about what does that actually mean? I mean, sometimes it runs runs along the lines of how do we love others as we love ourselves as fallen people with mixed motives. Now, this is the self-aware person. I mean, they realize that this might be a problem because they see ditches. One ditch is the ditch of self-hate, and in the other ditch is the ditch of self-love. And they see that whether in their own lives or the lives of others. In the ditch of self-hate, well, it can be all kinds of things. I mean, the worst-case scenario of self-hate is the person who commits suicide. There are other forms of self-harm. Because we live in a fallen world, we are totally depraved people. Some of us have been born a second time. We have been regenerated. But because of original sin, we do have those mixed motives, and people struggle like, well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to not love God and others yet until I fix myself because my motives are not pure? I walk around with shame and guilt and fear. I struggle with the fear of man. I have been manipulated or gaslit so much that I have a a wrong attitude or a wrong perspective, and I just don't love myself right. I just don't love myself enough. And so I need to go and get me some self-help books so I can fix this problem so that I can go love God and love others more. Well, as they go and get those self-help books, what they find themselves is moving to the other ditch. The other ditch is as far from, well, it's not that far from self-hate in a sense, because eventually you'll circle back around to self-hate. But in that other ditch is self-esteem. That is the bloated person who is so in love with themselves. This person has given themselves over to the self-esteem movement, which says you are number one, and that you cannot love anyone well until you love yourself most of all. And so there is a lot of confusion here, and so the question is, how can I love myself correctly and appropriately care for my fellow image bearers? And so this concept of loving God and loving others as I love myself, is murky to too many people. And perhaps you have read online or other places, or you have talked to people who have shared that confusion. I know that I have heard it almost all of my Christian life. And so maybe a good place to start would be in Matthew 22, where Jesus was interacting with the Pharisees. This is a place that you know where he told us to love God and others as we love ourselves. And so let me share that passage with you, or at least part of it. The Pharisees said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you read that sentence, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is an assumption here already that we love ourselves appropriately, that we love ourselves biblically already. He finishes by saying, on these two commandments depend all the law, 
and the prophets. Now, perhaps for people who say, well, I don't love myself appropriately, biblically, I don't love myself the right way, well, maybe a great place to begin to get our minds around this idea of loving others as we love ourselves is to go back to the beginning, returning to the Garden of Eden before sin, when love was pure, and they did it well because there was no sin anywhere. Now, we will have to suspend our, our reality uh, where we live today because none of us can think clearly of what it's like to live in a world where there was no sin. But in their world, Adam and Eve, there is nothing to unlove in a perfect world. And Adam loved himself. He loved himself the right way right in the middle, right down the center. He was out of both ditches. There was no self-hate with Adam, and he did not have an over-inflated self-esteem ego because you cannot believe that he hated himself or he over-loved himself in a narcissistic way. I mean, just imagine it. But it is a challenge for us to suspend our reality because we're post-fall people. We live on the other side of Genesis 3-6 when everything fell apart. And so post-fall people, they have a hard time to perceive how loving yourself could be right and could be pure. And I totally understand because I am a post-fall individual. Pre-fall creatures could only love themselves <laughs> purely because it could not be any other way. Our problem, we live in a post-fall world, so our love for ourselves is convoluted at best and turns in on itself at worst. Our inwardly curved hearts send us into the ditches of self-hate on one end and self-esteem on the other. Now, it should be apparent to anyone that we must not hate ourselves in a post-fallen world. But I know that there are many self-haters among us. Jesus is assuming in Matthew 22 that we already love ourselves. Now, we love ourselves in the purest way that we can and should love ourselves even as fallen creatures. And you'll have to, maybe, you'll have to wrestle with this. I know some people will that you love yourself already in the purest way that you can, and you love yourself as a fallen creature. Now, if you're not there and you say, well, I don't love myself the right way. I mean, if you talk about shame and guilt and fear, well, I live in those spaces and that's how I think about myself. Well, if that is true, then you're not loving yourself in the purest way that you can. And you need to learn to love yourself as a fallen creature because you can't love yourself as a pure creature. We're talking about glorification at that point. And we do not live in glorified bodies, perfected bodies. That eschatological vision is sometime in the future after this life is over. And then you have other people who have that overinflated ego. They have taken self-esteem, they have reversed the words, and they esteem themselves more than anybody else. Now, I'm not so sure that they have that kind of self-awareness. The person who lives in guilt and fear and shame, typically they have enough self-awareness to know that they're not loving themselves the right way. But the person who has the overinflated, the overinflated ego, 
they can be a little more delusional and detached from reality because they have spent their waking hours pumping themselves up, go fight, win, reading all the positive mental attitude books, creating a, a carefully crafted, edited reputation, promoting themselves out in the public space. And after a while, they, they will begin to believe the lie that they have actually created. But Jesus could not be talking about an impure love of yourself in Matthew 22. For the most apparent reasons, it would imply sin. And he would never say that we should love ourselves from a sinful perspective, motive, or desire. He would never assume or desire us to hate ourselves. And he definitely would not want us to have that overinflated self-esteem ego. If you're thinking rightly about God and yourself, then you should not hate yourself. I mean, if you're really thinking rightly about God, then what would flow out of that right thinking is right thinking about yourself, and you should not hate yourself. Whether during the pre-fall with Adam and Eve or the post-fall with the rest of us, if you do hate yourself, there is much hard work to do to get out of that ditch. And if that is you, I would recommend that you come to our coffee shop, lifeovercoffee.com. And I would just ask that you look for, uh, use the word identity or identity in Christ and do the research. And you'll find many resources that have been produced on that subject. And that will help you uh, to get out of that ditch of self-hate or on that side of the spectrum. You might not be entirely in the ditch. Everyone understands the temptation to love ourselves the wrong way, which is why the culture has a self-esteem gospel. I mean, what would you expect from God-rejectors to propagate? Because if you remove the Bible from your worldview, the primary thing a fallen person would be motivated to do is self-love. And that's why you see so many books, How to Love Yourself. And that has been restated a zillion times with a zillion books, podcasts, so forth and so on. And they have no governor on themselves whatsoever. That's why self-esteem will run you headlong into a deep ditch that can be very destructive. Without any governor, there would be no limit to how much we would love ourselves. Totally depraved, unrestricted minds, no, no limit to how far into the darkness that they will go. Part of their curricula would say that to experience wholeness, you must love yourself more than God and others. Well, that is a narcissistic type of love, and that is not what Jesus said. He didn't say stop the train unless learn to love yourself so that you can be whole, so that you can love God and others well. He already assumed that you loved yourself biblically the right way. And so let's say that God has regenerated the wayward soul. Let's say that you have been born again. If that is true, then you know that you do have to fight, always resisting any temptation to hate what God has created, meaning that you would never hate yourself, or that you would never distort yourself into an overinflated self-esteem ego. 
The Christian wants to cooperate with God to reverse the curse. And part of that means maturing into Christ-likeness. That is the goal. We press toward the prize. Christ is the prize. We not only worship Him, but we want to be transformed into Him. And as we head toward that wonderful goal that will be fully realized in glorification, there's no way we would reasonably hate Christ or us as we're being transformed into Him. It would be sacrilegious to hate yourself because you would be hating your Creator who made us in the image of God. Now, if we did hate ourselves, I think in many cases it would be unwittingly. We're not realizing what we're doing or passively. We don't have that kind of self-awareness. But that's why I want to share this with you. Because if we are hating ourselves in any way, or distorting ourselves in any way, well, uh, we are distorting and hating what God has created, the Imago Dei. To hate the painting is to make a hateful commentary about the painter. I love this illustration as I see myself in the museum looking, going from painting to painting, and I say, wow, I really hate that painting there. I am making a commentary on the painter. The newly minted, regenerated person shakes off this worldly way of thinking about love that drives them inward to a morbid, all-consuming, and deteriorating self-love. But it's not easy for every Christian to fight this fight. I mean, we're all fallen in Adam. We're living post-fall, Genesis 3-6. And so we come into this world experiencing shame, guilt, and fear, and many other side effects of the fall of Adam. It's called original sin. And depending on the consequences of your shaping influences, we all have had shaping influences, not just Adam, but the people that we have associated with, our peers, our siblings, our parents, our other authority figures, and it can complicate a soul to where a believer will have difficulty coming to a bibliocentric way of loving themselves, and that is why Christ came, to reverse the curse. And as we mature in Christ, we can begin to export biblical love to others, always striving to live in this bibliocentric sweet spot. Maybe a good way of saying to love God and love others as you love yourself, maybe you could say it this way. I love you biblically as I love myself biblically. And those are the modifiers. We love others biblically. We know how to do that. The question becomes, do we know how to love ourselves biblically? Because of a lack of sinless perfection, we'll always struggle with the warping, shame-shaping effects of our unique atomness plus what the other mean people in our lives have put upon us. I'm not saying that as you, as a victim. If, if you have that victim mindset, if your focus is more about what Adam did to you or other people did to you, well, then you're in a bad spot there, and you have to fight. And the fight will be continuous. Working against oversensitivity that tempts you to be offended or angered as people say things to you, uh, as they manipulate you, as they hurt you, and it can drive you into a shell, uh, not standing up for the Imago Dei and say, well, I am somebody. The reason you are somebody is because of the painter. And so we don't want to be offended or we don't want to buy, the, buy into the gaslighting. 
gaslighting is a mental manipulation where people tell you something is true that is not true, and then you exchange the truth of God for a lie. You begin to believe what they are telling you, and it will send you into a deep hole. It could be shame, guilt, and fear. Or on the other side, you could always be angling for that favorable opinion of other people. We can be quite proactive in our manipulations as we try to pump up our ego. And I need other people to say great things about me so I can feel better about me. If our feel good about other people, about ourselves comes from other people, then we're looking in the wrong direction, not focusing on the right thing. The reason we feel good about ourselves is because we have been made in the image of God. And then uh, we have been regenerated. Now, I hope that you have been born again and God don't make no junk. Without active repentance, I just had to throw that cliche in there. Without active repentance, we will not experience the freedom that we need. Christ came to set us free. We will always be bound to self-love that will descend into controlling other people to ensure that they, they live in a carefully, that we live in a carefully governed environment that steers all good opinions toward ourselves. Now, if this happens, then we have to go back to the garden, realizing that God created us in the best possible image made in the image of God. And there is nothing to hate other than our sin. And as we do these things, we will be on guard against the tendencies that tempt us to turn the Imago Dei into self-centered love that has less concern for others and more concern for ourselves, either by protecting our reputations or hiding our shame and rejecting perceived rejections from others. What does it mean to love God? As you love yourself, it means to love the Imago Dei. You've been made in the image of God. Recognizing that we're fallen, totally depraved. We need to be regenerated. And I trust that you have been born again. And so there is no reason to hate yourself. There is every reason to love yourself biblically as you continue to mature into the the ultimate image, which is Christ's likeness. Let me ask you a few things. Now, if you fall into this camp of having convoluted love for yourself, that it's not quite clear uh, to you, then I would ask a couple of things. One, that you would work through what I'm about to share with you. And then two, that you would share this with another person, a person who is competent in God's word, a mature person who's been around the block once or twice. And second thing, if you know someone who struggles this way, there are more people like this than you might imagine as we come into our church meetings, as we gather for our church meetings on Sunday morning. There's a lot of people in that building that really struggle with shame and guilt. They haven't been unhooked yet, and they don't know how to love themselves appropriately. Some of them are on the spectrum, the side of self-hate, Others are sliding into the self-esteem movement, thinking that they just need to pump themselves up, and that is the answer. Neither one of those options are answers. The answers, the answers are made in the image of God, fallen, 
cursed, regenerated, and now we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And so we love ourselves appropriately, and we love what God is doing, and we are fighting against any sin uh, that takes us off that course. Statement number one, describe what it might be like to live in the ditch of self-hate. Maybe you're not there, but just think for a moment, a little reflection of what it would be like for a person bound up in shame or guilt. This self-hate. You'll see self-harm. You'll see suicide. Suicide, obviously, is the worst case of self-hate. But there's many manifestations of self-hate, and there are a lot of people that live on that side. Number two, describe what it might be like to live in the ditch of self-love. This is the overinflated ego. This is the, the true self-esteemer. He has flipped self-esteem around to give, his, his, to give it its appropriate definition. They esteem themselves. This person has a carefully edited, <coughs> excuse me, this person has a carefully edited and crafted version of themselves that they trot out in the public space, wanting people to fall in love with that person, and they're hiding behind that personification. Number three, describe what it's like to live in the middle with a biblical understanding and practice of loving yourself. Now, I trust that you're there or that you are growing into this space, and this might be a great conversation to have with someone, that I want to love myself appropriately, biblically, being self-aware, not delusional, not recognizing that I have sin issues that I need to recognize, but not beating myself up because I am made in the image of God, but being optimistic, knowing that what God has started, He will complete. Number four, why is it wrong to hate your Imago Dei? And I trust that you would be able to explain that to someone, and I would encourage you to do so. If you just sit down with someone and say, hey, I want to talk about why it's wrong to uh, hate the Imago Dei, made in the image of God. Number five, why is it wrong to hate another Imago Dei? This is what James was talking about in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. We bless God and hate man who is made in the image of God. I am not saying that you should agree with people who do things wrong. I'm not saying that you should agree with people who are destroying our country or any country. I am not saying that you should agree with people who kill babies, abortion, but I am saying that we want to be careful how we think about them as we vehemently disagree with their positions and their policies. Number six, what is the balance between respecting someone's Imago Dei and disagreeing with their opinions and practices? Now, I put this as a, a final one, and I pulled it out from what I just shared with you at, in number five. Why is it wrong to hate another Imago Dei? Because I do want you to think about this, because this is a problem in our culture. One of the things that saddens me about many, many people on the conservative side of the spectrum, and then also uh, many Christians, Christians specifically, is the way that we talk about other Christians who, what I believe, have heretical religion, impure religion, or Christians who believe the wrong things culturally and socially. There is a way of disagreeing with those people, but there is a mean-spiritedness 
among too many Christians in our disagreement. Uh, disagreement. We have become disagreeable in our disagreement. There is a way of being courageous. I'm not talking about being a snowflake, rounding corners off things, soft peddling things. No, speak directly. Be black and white. Be clear. Be courageous in your defenses. But we don't have to be mean-spirited. There is a thing called self-righteous anger, and some people would say that at this juncture. And yes, I understand that. But we need to understand what self-righteous anger is. I will not get into that here. I have written on it, and you can find that at lifeovercoffee.com. And so, yeah, there is a place for anger. But it appears that a lot of the anger that we see, it doesn't fall into the camp of self-righteous. And so that would be something to examine. Yeah, be righteously angry at others for what they do. But I think too many times, and I would just ask you to give me this point, just give me this point, that too many times, too many believers cross that line, and we are not communicating our disagreements appropriately. So the question is, what does it mean to love others as you love yourself? Recognize that you are the painting in the museum. And to hate that painting, to dislike that painting, to be ashamed of that painting, to make that painting appear more than it is supposed to be with an overinflated ego. It's making a commentary on the painter. And if you're in that place, then I would ask you to find the help that you need so that that painting can be exactly what it is exactly what the, the painter or the creator designed. And as we get to that space, uh, you will that sweet spot, you will be ever-evolving progressively into loving yourself appropriately. And so we want to love God and love others as we love ourselves. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.